1: Chase Thomas podcast the Chase Thomas podcast Um, (laughs) my (laughs) nephew needs me to record see I hate I already hate it I hate
2: it all right hello and welcome back to another episode of a pod divided a college football show twice a week here on the Chase Thomas podcast where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville Tennessee everything school HQ down there in Tequila Georgia my good friend fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green is here
1: Matt good evening sir how are you Good evening, sir. I'm uh I'm doing well this uh this beautiful Sunday night. Great day of NFL games we had uh, today, but um also feel obligated to give the uh the the weekly Georgia basketball update. We were in this we were in the center of college basketball this weekend. Uh, unfortunately, it was just because we were playing. It was the coming out party of Big Z. Did you see this man? For yeah, the seven
2: three. Yeah, uh, got, Croatia? got
1: eligible the uh the, for the Georgia game. So Georgia was playing them tough until that dude just came in and took over the game. That was that was wild to see. So is
2: that back to back big time SEC losses for the dogs?
1: On Not back to back because they had the uh South Carolina win in between. Well, no, no, no. And- We're talking on Saturday when
2: everybody all eyeballs are on the dogs. But I the balls and Kentucky
1: at Kentucky, Rup Arena is not a that Georgia covered. All right. So it was mm-hmm. a good showing as far as that's concerned. They definitely weren't expected to get wins. And they, and they, man, they, they, they obviously played Tennessee closer than anybody thought, too. So, George basketball, Mike White, definitely moving in the right direction.
2: Did you catch the latest Tennessee just bombing of the Alabama Crimson Tide on Saturday afternoon? Just yeah, 91 points.
1: On a show. Yeah, for sure don't connect all American Kevin Durant in his veins that guy can score the basketball as they love as the analysts love to say
2: it's a great time to be here on everything school HQ man baseball season 30 days away basketball top five Tennessee Landon Lance Hurd today five-star offensive tackle from LSU Mm, left side strong side it's a great time to be here on Rocky Top. Mike Matthews wins Polynesian Bowl MVP. Tennessee now oh, has right? the MVP of the last two Polynesian Bowls. Nico last year, Mike Matthews so this year.
1: Bowl, it's not like Bowl, it's not like a racial thing, like no. an, an ethnicity thing? You don't have to have no. any sort of Polynesian no. heritage or anything like that? No. See, I always thought it was just like for Hawaiian, everybody. like West Coast dudes would, would be in it. I didn't know if it was just open for everybody. Why would you no. rather play in the Under Armour game than the one that's in Hawaii? He's that's what I would say.
2: Okay, well, like Polynesian <laughs> Bowl is cool, and I think you get the best stuff, and uh, you get to go to Hawaii and you get to play. Yeah, like, for sure, Polynesian Bowl is awesome. I would love to go to the Polynesian. Inclusive, bowl I'm
1: time. glad it's an inclusive bowl as well. Yeah,
2: but I would also like to go to the Polynesian Bowl. Uh, that'd be cool. Uh, the uniforms are top notch, and I just I'm a big visor guy. Going back to uh, my guy, the late Colt Brennan, and um, obviously Willis McGahey, Sean Taylor. Like, there's just I love a good visor. We need to bring back visors. There's not a lot of great visors in college football anymore. Who's still rocking a a big time visor?
1: I think ever there's visors are still out there. There's no, I'm no, talking about colored visors. I'm talking no about dark like a neon visors and the the Calvin Johnson to Shard choice that like uh, mirror like Oakley visor they would rock. That that mm-hmm. one was was sick. Uh, but yeah, I guess, I mean, I'm sure there's a rule about it in college um, because hmm. I only see clear visors in college. You definitely see dudes rocking the dark visor in, in the NFL still.
2: They need to bring it back. It was yeah. a cool thing. I enjoyed it. And uh, it made certain players. I mean, it just made any player uh, really yeah, look a lot Sean cooler. Sean
1: Taylor with like the tinted, like orange-ish visor or whatever he had. Like mm. that was, Sean Taylor was the man.
2: Visors are just they're just cool man um uh, speaking of uh cool Nigel the Nighthawk our good friend Nigel the Nighthawk uh has dropped off some news here shout out to the University of North Georgia our uh alumni base um up there in Dahlonega uh, Macareem but look Nigel kind enough to drop us some uh some news and nuggets since our last recording uh this past week um look Caleb Downs we talked about uh, at length to open the last show and biggest portal loss for Alabama this cycle with the retirement of Nick Saban and many assumed it was going to be a sure thing that he went back to his home state um back to Atlanta and transfers to team up with Malachi Starks at the to make the strongest safety duo since Greg Blue and Thomas Davis in Athens and we just kind of assumed that was going to be the case and then it wasn't and Ohio State comes out of nowhere multiple times now because Quinshaw Junkins just he enters the portal late and then Ohio State just jumps right in because Trevion Henderson's back and they're just I guess gonna do a two-headed monster there. Um and then you bring in Caleb Downs and you're like, Wow, the money that Ohio State must be throwing around here um this cycle is unreal. But when you lose to Michigan three straight times and Michigan wins the national championship uh, it motivates some folks, I think, uh, up there in Columbus. And look, man, this was a stunner. Um, it's not like Georgia needed Caleb Downs to be the favorite going into next year or anything like that. It was more of a the rich get richer type deal, but it doesn't make seeing Caleb Downs wind up at Ohio State over Georgia any less stunning. Was that the case for you as well, Matt Green?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Rusty Mansell, you know, you can ask, like – Anybody, as far as as beat writers go, he's like the most dialed in guy ever, basically. Um, from what everyone says, and so he, from what he was reporting, like even all day on Friday, he still thought it was going to be Georgia, and he he basically said something kind of changed in that last like four hour period um, that eventually Ohio State uh, ended up getting Caleb Downs, and obviously, and then obviously this this report comes out that maybe they're spending like $13 million this off season uh, on, on NIL. And, and who knows, who knows if that's even a lot, you know what I mean? We have no like b- basis of how much uh, college football players are worth, but, but yeah, it's just, it's hilarious to me. The, uh, the Alabama fans almost celebrating uh, Caleb Downs, not going to Georgia as if, as if we're the ones that lost a potential All-American safety, uh, but yeah, Georgia still has only three five-star safeties on the roster now, so uh, they don't—they they don't have a fourth. And Caleb Downs might be better than all of them. Malachi Starks is is still a, a great player in his own right, um, but but yeah, it's uh, it's it was definitely shocking. I mean, for a guy like you said from Mill Creek, as close as it is to Athens, e, Travaris Robinson, the DB coach in Alabama, now on Georgia's staff, uh, and he still ends up in Columbus. But who knows? And that's that's the only thing that, that that's unfortunate from a college football fan perspective is that when Freddie Freeman goes to the Dodgers, you get to hear about, well, this offer was made by the Braves, and then the Dodgers made this offer, and this is actually why I didn't end up getting signed, yada, yada, yada and in college football we just have no idea. We're like, well they they got a family member a job in Columbus, Ohio, for only know. You know, they just gave him a lump sum of cash. He liked the 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 position coach better there. It's like we literally have no idea what reason it is. We don't know what teams are paying. We don't know how much they're able to pay. It's just kind of the wild west, but uh but yeah, it's obviously a huge get for Ohio State and I mean, they're 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 all in on 2024 national championship or bust.
2: I mean, absolutely, and more power and to him. Like
1: before you get, to, I don't even know what that means, national championship or bust. I think they might be the one team ever that's been national championship or we're firing the coach. Like I don't, I don't know of any other guys that have actually been in that situation.
2: Yeah, but I also just think look, their defense was great. So I think a lot of people who are surprised and uh, just like, why would you go to Ohio State? There's been some weird blowback where it's like, how would you not want to go to Athens and go where it's just safety talent galore? And it's like, well, hold on. Ohio State uh, with Jim Knowles and company, that defense was legit. And it's not like Ohio State struggled to put dudes on the defensive side of the ball in the NFL. I mean, Marshawn, Lattimore and company, like they've put dudes in the NFL from the secondary.
1: Um, it's not like they didn't play good defense in 2021 and 2022 like basically all their other history is putting dudes in the league yeah so it's fine but it also
2: lends itself to like man this dude really didn't want to go to georgia he's from georgia he went to alabama instead of georgia out of high school he has an opportunity to follow his position coach come back home and he's like nope my parents are flying to see me play next fall (laughs) like he uh he went out of his way and Clearly, there's some disconnect uh, between Caleb Downs and the University of Georgia um, to not pick them twice, uh, the home state, when they are uh, the premier program, the number one football program in college football. We'll never know. But like you I said, mean, we'll never end. We'll never know the full story as to why he ended up picking uh, Ohio State and what I think is fair to consider an upset.
1: Oh, I thought you were. St- I thought you were still talking. But no. To be fair, I think. I mean, there are also rumors that there was there was conflicts with him trying to enroll in Georgia. And so Mm. it's like no one really knows the the full story. Like supposedly his his parents were were salty that his older brother, Josh Downs, never got an offer from Georgia. So, you know, we never know what's the case. But at the end of the day, you don't have to hate Georgia to want to go play football at Ohio State. It's it's one of the elite programs in college football. And like, man, they're going to be one of the favorites to win the national title next year.
2: Now, if you pick North Carolina, we'd be like, "Whoa, <laughs> what, what,
1: what, what are we yeah, doing?" Towns family just really likes North Carolina, I guess. yeah. But like you
2: said, I mean, Ohio State's one just of the
1: made a bunch of money,
2: right? But Ohio State of the last twenty years is one of the three premier programs in college football. It's Ohio State. I mean, Georgia of light. I mean, let's just say the last ten years is Ohio State, Georgia, and Bama. Um, and you can maybe throw Clemson in there too, but it's just not a big surprise. Like he ended up at one of the other favorites to win the national title that puts out just as many uh, NFL kids as Georgia. And you just look at it like it's fine. Like he's going to go play. He's going to be really good. And Ohio State's going to be scary good. And they have been really, really aggressive in the portal. And I mean, it's funny too, that we're calling Julian saying a portal kid, which is cracking me up because he had to technically, I think enroll because the co- the college football calendar is so messed up. That even though he's an early enrollee, so he had to enroll technically um, at Alabama for a little bit and then the obviously Saban retires and all that. So then he has to technically transfer, but it's like he's still technically a high school senior, but it's we're calling this a transfer. So he'll always be regarded as a college transfer to Ohio State. When in reality he's still a high. Sc- Do you get what I'm saying? It's just such a yeah. weird, convoluted thing. We're going to call him a transfer from here on out. And I'm Dude, like, and it's this about isn't transfer. Get,
1: it's about to get a lot worse. Like yeah. I mean, when you have, you've seen the schedule for the college football playoff next year, where the 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 semifinals are getting played on like January 7th and 8th. The the uh, national championship is being played on January 20th. Uh, OK, you don't think any of the coaches on the national championship team are going to move jobs like they're going to be some of the most coveted coaches out there and they're going to maybe go to an NFL team, go to a co- another college team. And and then you're going to have to be filling these spots. And then it's, you know, we do. Ha- we're going to eventually get, have to get rid of this December or signing day, period, because it's just you're not going to even know what the coaching staff is and you don't even know what coaches you're going to play for at that point. So. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's really it, – it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better, I'm afraid. But, but the last thing I'll say about Caleb Downs, like that quote – I don't know if you saw that quote that he said, Ohio State told him they needed him and Georgia just wanted him, hmm. I, I guess. And I think that kind of sums it up. Like, Ohio State did need him. Georgia definitely could have used him. But, I mean, at the end of the day – you know, Georgia's been recruiting that side of the ball as well as anybody. And, and it sounds like, you know, believe it or not, if, if you want to, if you're a fan of whatever SEC school, but it sounds like Georgia legitimately just doesn't get into the same bidding wars as some other schools. And as soon as it becomes a bidding war, they tend to lose. Like KJ Bolden was even said he took less money to to end up at Georgia. And so maybe it just, the price got too steep and Georgia is is looking at their roster when they're paying certain guys and they don't want to to shift the dynamic of who's getting paid what. I, I don't know what the case is, but um you've you've seen multiple cases now of Georgia when it when it gets into a bidding war, that's when they lose out for some of these top players. And the
2: main thing too is just like you said, we just don't know what goes into this process. Everyone's just rampant speculation. We're just like, I mean, Caleb's father, um, I think talked about it briefly to Ohio State where uh, or to who did he talk to about it I saw a quote from him about like just what the defense brings and um why it made sense oh yeah here it is uh he said to Steve Wiltfong he said you look at Ohio State Jim Knowles comes in solidifies the defense and becomes the top five defense you see what he implemented the success in defensive backs coach Tim Walton the familiarity there Ryan Dunn uh Ryan Day what he's done look at that program they're right there so I mean all that's fair like if it really could have just been like look, the defense is legit now, and we just wanted,
1: we just believed in, hey, I don't could know. It, could it be as simple as, like, George is going to play at Alabama next season? Hmm. And that'd be awkward, right? Like, it's just like, you're, you're, you've, George has been, Georgia-Alabama isn't a quote-unquote traditional rivalry, but it's basically been Alabama's biggest rivalry, rival for the last however many years, and he. Went to Alabama. He's part of Alabama. Maybe he just didn't want to play for what Alabama's biggest rival is. Have to come back to Tuscaloosa as a member of another team. Whereas you go to Ohio State, and you don't have to worry about any of that.
2: Right. And I mean, look, Ohio State, they are on an absolute roll. Quenchon Jenkins, this offense is just going to be absolutely loaded, in the defense as well. Julian saying though now comes in five star kid. Um, he's in the boat. They already had four-star Air Nolan out of Langston Hughes in uh in Georgia, super talented kid, Southpaw. That Langston Hughes offense has been uh fun, fun to watch um over the last two years with him at the helm and company. But um look, I I'm curious because both have said that they're up for the challenge of competing against one another, which is rare. We've only really seen that at Georgia uh of late. Some premier five-star quarterbacks really willing to go. After it in competition and stick around and see who, who the best man wins and this sort of thing, but um, we'll see how long this ends up being the case. But look, Will Howard, great stopgap. It was a surprise that he ended up there last minute, but a lot of people were clowning um, Ohio State for moving on from Kyle McCord and that whole situation. And it's like, I think they just did what good teams do, which is they saw a problem, they saw they saw that this was not going to get better, that they just didn't think Kyle McCord was the best gamble here for year two. A lot of pressure on this program. We're going to go out get an older kid who's one at a high level in college football and power five level. We're going to get a stopgap guy. And then we're going to just get the best quarterbacks. And we're going to try this again. We're going to get multiple dudes. We don't care what the cost is. We are going to go out and get as many big name quarterbacks. And we're going to get the quarterback position, right? Because when you look at the playoff and you look at who wins in the sport, you just can't be weak there. No matter how much talent, no matter how good of a defense Ohio state had last year, the offense is what cost them, and the offense was just not what it should have been with uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., Travion Henderson, and company. Like It should have been better. And I think Ohio State, there's a lot of pressure there, but they also have a very high bar of what they expect year over year. And I think if you're an Ohio State fan, you appreciate this level of commitment uh, in the offseason after your rival just won the Natty.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And maybe, I mean, you you, you can people can say that oh that set off ohio state now they're they're serious like ohio state was always serious about winning mm. national championships so i don't think this is anything has really changed i think alabama obviously being in the transition like they are it's kind of been an unprecedented you know thing in in recent college football just kind of like smu back in the day getting the death penalty and their roster being open season Let's like that's kind of the only thing i can really compare it to and you look at Ohio State. I th- I wonder if this will be more of the trend. Like, if you can do it, if you don't don't have to sit out, then there's not really a, a negative impact of of having to transfer. You know, if if there's a place you really want to be, well, then go there first because there's a chance you can start and you can play there. And if not, you can always go somewhere else. So I, I wonder if if you're going to see because this is exactly how. I mean, I think a lot of teams have built a, a quarterback room this way. Like the only difference at Georgia was. Was how often so many, how long they that so many of them seem to uh, stick around, but we've seen a team, teams with multiple highly ranked quarterbacks, and then we'll see how long it lasts. Maybe one of them is, is second string going into the end of the fall, and the other guy transfers, or maybe they stick around for a couple of years since since Will Howard is the uh, obvious starter in this situation. But I think that's that's what you're going to see. Uh, I think with not, it's not as big of a penalty to to need to transfer now.
2: No, uh, I 100% agree. Um, Bill O'Brien, speaking of Ohio State, just a lot of Ohio State on this program, but they've been busy. They've been they've yeah. been very busy. And another part of like, if you're an Ohio State fan, you're excited. Look, it didn't work with Brian Hartline as the OC. Ryan Day is just the, the head coach, still the offensive minded guy with that offense. They saw, hey, changes need to be made. We're going to hire a, another OC. So what do they do? They hire Bill O'Brien. And there was some pushback. There are some folks, there's some Alabama fans who laughter the higher but it's like all right I mean did you see the offense and the difference with what uh Bill O'Brien got out of Bryce Young versus what Tommy Reese got out of Jalen Millereau for the majority of this year do you really think Alabama would not have been better I don't know if that's fair uh comparing Bryce Young to Jalen Millereau well what I'm saying is like Bill O'Brien it's not like the man didn't help ensure that Bryce Young was a Heisman number one overall pick quarterback like it wasn't like Bill O'Brien was in a disaster at uh at Alabama, I think it's a solid hire. What say you? Because there been, there's been some very interesting back and forth on this one, and I think it's a very, very solid hire, and it will he will not make things worse than what we saw from Ohio State a season ago.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's no hot takes on my end when it comes to Bill O'Brien. Like, this guy's got NFL experience. He's obviously had experience with, uh, with Alabama in recent years. Like, Alabama fans, I mean, I don't I don't even know like how they perceive the world, right? It's like, it's just different than everybody else. If you didn't win a national championship for Alabama, you just, you were, you did a terrible job that while you were there. I don't, I don't know, but, but Bill O'Brien, he's obviously a competent offensive coordinator. I don't know that they had to to switch up the OC. So, I mean, Ryan day was still calling plays that last year, right? Or did mm. he give that up already? So, I mean, I assume Bill Bryan's calling the plays now. He is probably. calling the plays.
2: They announced Bill O'Brien's calling the
1: plays. Yeah, so that's um that's going to be a difference. And I don't I don't think the play calling was the was the problem. I think it was Kyle McCord is just the worst quarterback Ohio State's had in probably a decade. And that's no shade to him. They've had some damn good quarterbacks. Um, but so Bill Br- Bill O'Brien, I feel like you have a certain floor of what you're going to get with his experience, and just you're going to have a certain floor of what you're going to get with Ohio State's talent. So I have. I have a I have no pro, I have very like little doubt that this will be work out just fine for Ohio State.
2: Yeah, I uh I think these are all positives and I just think Ohio State is doing a lot right. I mean, I do have some questions about Ross Bjork as the new AD at Ohio State from Texas A&M because um, there is an interesting history there. Pat 40 did a really good piece for SI this week that you can read about. Um Ross to this point but he's also he's made good hires he's made bad ones like he's a, uh, the one who gave the Jimbo contract that uh obviously the extension that made it one of the hardest buyout firings uh in the history of college uh athletics I guess really um we'll Do you see, know when he
1: got that extension to three
2: years ago was it 2018 was it 2019? after the 2020 no, it was after 2020 season it was after they went nine and one that right makes sense yeah I think that's, that's, what that's what
1: I'm, I'm asking. asking yeah man Jimbo he's got
2: a good agent he does have a good agent. Um, and then you talked about like the just the calendar and everything else in Bama, what they're dealing with. I think we're still not done with this. It is almost February. Matt Green and Jim Harbaugh has interviewed with several NFL teams. It's going to happen. Like, it seems like Jim Harbaugh is going to take one of these jobs. It certainly feels like that's where we're headed. And if that happens, I mean, what we're seeing with Alabama here we go all over again. Like it's not over like now that would be something. Can you imagine? Cause Bama, we talked about last week, they got screwed with the way the portal calendar is and they are, they're only getting picked apart. So their only options really are Washington players in the portal right now. And they've gotten a couple thus far because those kids can transfer and follow Kalen DeBoer. But outside of that, maybe the Arizona kids, that's really all they can look at because the portal's closed. Um, I guess that would be hilarious if Alabama just starts picking apart Michigan's roster because that's the only (laughs) area they can go. I mean, that's just where we're at in college football, but I don't know. We're not done, potentially, and we're not done with the team that just won the national title, potentially. I said potentially too many times.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I don't follow the NFL coaching searches as closely. Um, I obviously know he's had, I think, multiple interviews with the Falcons, right? Mm-hmm. And they've interviewed Belichick a couple times, too. Is Are the Chargers, has he interviewed with the yes, Chargers? Yes, he's interviewed the Chargers, too. Is, is it just those two teams? I
2: think it's just those two teams right now.
1: So he only interviewed with the Vikings that we know of a couple of years ago, right? Or were there, mm-hmm. multiple, were there multiple I think so. Teams that? So, I mean, I guess if he they just... If the Falcons hire Belichick, he could just be like, oh, all right, I'll keep coaster from Michigan. Like, I don't know, one one foot in the door, one foot out. I don't it, it's a real interesting situation. I don't so there's not there's not that many jobs open that Harbaugh is a candidate for, right? So if he doesn't get him, he's not just gonna leave Michigan, right? So I guess they're they're cool with this. They just kind of hey Jim, you you come and go as you please. The thing is, like you said, with the them their roster getting picked apart is they would definitely hire Sharon Moore, right? Like, I don't think there would be a coaching search if Michigan, if Harbaugh does uh, take an NFL job. And if Sharon Moore is just promoted to head coach, because he's a Michigan man, you know, you got to get a Michigan man uh, for the Wolverines. If, If he's promoted, I don't think you just see the entire roster just jump in the portal if there's that continuity with a guy who coached almost as many games this year as Jim Harbaugh did. I mean, that's a fair point. If
2: they do just promote from within, I wonder how many end up in the portal and how many don't. I don't know. I can't answer that. What, I would assume less. Huh?
1: He coached six games this year? For, no. For like the first four. three?
2: I think he coached four.
1: Wasn't Harbaugh suspended for the first three and the last three?
2: Did, did Was it that many?
1: I Hold thought on. I thought that's what it was. But, um, but yeah, was it that he, many? he seems like play. the obvious choice.
2: Oh, I know what it was. The reason I don't know is because they, they alternated. Remember, like, Sharon was the, technically the interim one week, and then it was somebody else. Didn't they alternate who was the interim coach week? week?
1: You could be right about, like, the at the start of the season, but I'm pretty sure at the end of the season, like those Penn State games and, and Ohio State games, Sharon Moore was the head coach.
2: Okay. Um. Now I, I just don't have it in front of me. Now I'm trying to remember. Um. He missed the final, yeah. He was spinning the final three, um, and then he missed the first three. So yeah, he did miss uh, six total.
1: Wow. So I think hmm. Jerome Moore's the obvious guy, and I don't think Michigan. I don't think their roster would get depleted. Um, I mean, it's obviously lost a lot to the draft, uh, just off off the bat. But yeah, I think I think they've probably even if they were considering going the coaching search route. You have to look at Alabama right now and be like, are we sure we want to do that? Might, might just want to keep this thing going.
2: Okay. Yeah, I was right. Jim Harbaugh splits coaching duties for three games among four staff members.
1: Okay. That's a, yeah, yeah. Jay that's-
2: Harbaugh will handle the first half. Mike Hart will handle the second half against the Univ- Yeah. See, it was weird. I, d- I don't know how they determined who was coach. It was, it was a weird dynamic um, way back when uh, to open this year. But yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with Michigan and Harbaugh, but look, it's uh, definitely something to monitor over the next couple of weeks. Cause I mean, those will be decided soon. Like we'll know Harbaugh's fate sooner rather than later. And uh, what the Falcons do and Belich- Belichick and all that stuff. But um, we shall see Matt green. Um, big question here. So Connor O'Gara, friend of the pod uh, over there at Saturday on South, a very good sec football website that everyone should go check out. Um, Most listeners of this show, I'm sure, frequent uh, the site like myself and you. Um, He did his top 16 now, (laughs) which is weird, uh, SEC quarterbacks in 2024 to start the year. And it was a good piece. And it was kind of illuminating because I didn't agree with uh, some of it. But I thought it'd be a fun talking uh, discussion here because there are some names on here. I forgot transferred and two. I can't believe that's who they're rolling with. So Matt Green, um, the number one name to you that just blew your mind is going to be the starting quarterback for said team in 2024 in the SEC is who? I'll
1: be honest. I I almost agreed 100% with uh, hmm. Conor O'Gara's list here um do, do we want to go through the list and, and say what those go, are let's first? go
2: through the list from uh worst to first and then we'll we'll break down um what we agree and disagree with here
1: so i um i've never heard of of taylon green uh, he was good at boise state. state i heard of taylor green starter. i just forgot he
2: transferred to arkansas
1: i had no idea so is he good he, he's the 16th best quarterback in the sec and he, you're saying this is well that's what i'm saying i
2: don't think he's 16th i think that's low, especially. Petrino I don't think you can put him below Peyton Thorne and this name on this list so I do right out of the gate I disagree with tailing Green.
1: okay so we got Lenora Sellers from South Carolina at 15 Peyton Thorne uh, at Auburn 14 Diego Pavia at Vanderbilt at 13 Blake Shapen is apparently at Mississippi State <laughs> had no idea um and he had left baylor already right he would he was he somewhere else after baylor or he'd come straight from baylor
2: i think he came straight from baylor okay
1: so he's at mississippi state and then we got vandergriff uh at 11 uh at kentucky, brock vandergriff at 11 at kentucky you mm-hmm. got anything to say about any of those guys well i was gonna wait until the end
2: here like okay. i was gonna wait
1: yeah i keep it going we got jackson arnold at oklahoma number 10 graham mertz of florida number nine connor wegman uh, Texas A&M number eight, Nico Iamaliava from Tennessee number seven, Garrett Nussmeyer LSU number six, and in the top five we got Brady Cook Missouri, Jackson Dart Ole Miss number four, Jalen Milrow at Alabama number three, Quinn Ewers at Texas number two, and then Carson Beck of the Georgia Bulldogs at number one. And so, what is what you? So you said you you disagreed with a lot about this list. What's your big disagreement right off the bat? So
2: tailing green, I don't think it's going to be the worst. Like there's just no way that I think by Petrino and tailing green, that combo is going to be the worst combination in the sec next year. Don't see that happening at all. Um, I think the worst, no question you have to start off is Peyton Thorne. Like I understand like the whole off season now with Auburn and everything else, but what we saw was bad. Like what we saw outside. And he didn't make the point of like, he was successful on the ground. Uh, I think he said, yeah, he was the only he's the only returning SEC quarterback with more rushing yard or the only returning SEC quarterback with more rushing yards than Thorne is Jalen milroe um, which I guess is something. But Peyton Thorne was bad and Auburn was rough offensively, and I just don't know. He granted he could be better, but I don't know. We'll we'll see on that one. That's a TBD. It felt a little Joe Miltony, uh, right out of the gate here for Peyton Thorne in SEC play, and I just. I, I think he has to be at the bottom. The sellers like what is what does Joe
1: Milton? mean,
2: you make the jump from Big Ten country and you're like, oh, he's he could be something. He's with a fun offensive mind. Like you freeze one of the best in college football. He can mold this guy. This offense will get they'll figure it out. They'll become explosive again. It's like
1: or so they just Big ten boys aren't ready for the SEC. That's what you're saying. I, I just
2: I don't think Peyton Thorne's it and I just don't think he's going to be the guy for the entire year. Lenora sellers Man, life's gonna come at you fast. Uh, going from he's a three-star quarterback, going from I'm surprised South Carolina didn't go harder in the portal. Like Will Howard should have been someone you go really hard after if you're South Carolina. Like the drop off from Rattler to Sellers might be vast. I think South Carolina I mean, who's I'm, to say
1: they didn't go after Will Howard? They, I mean, maybe, he, maybe that's he, it. even went the, to but, Iowa State, they're on a different level.
2: Um I'll say Graham Mertz, something that's kind of wild. He did complete 70% of his passes, 20 TDs only. uh, He's one of, uh, let's see how many here, three other uh, power five quarterbacks who did that. And it was Noah Fafita, Arizona Mertz and Carson Beck. So he's in good company. He's like my favorite buy low candidate where you're two. He doesn't turn the ball over, which you like. He completes a bunch of his passes. Like maybe if every, if Florida really turns a corner or something, for Billy Napier, which they do have the talent technically to turn the corner here. He might be a good middle of the pack. By lo- talent? I think I mean, Florida's talented. They're no, they don't have a talent issue. I don't think Florida think has a talent, a talent issue. issue. I think they have a serious talent issue. I think the one that's most egregious is Jalen Milrow at three. Jalen Milrow is not one of the three best quarterbacks in the SEC. Like we, we this is so much recency bias and so much just like I, He was bad in the Michigan game. I understand he came on a little bit late in the year, but like no one's taking... I mean, at the end of the year, I guess this is part of it for me. Like What we saw from Connor Wegman early, I think... I just do the test of like, okay, if you're Kalen DeBoer, how many of the SEC quarterbacks in this list would you trade Jalen Miller for right now? Like going into the 2024 season. Like how
1: many would you trade? What would you guess, Matt Green? See, I think it's... I don't know it's there's a couple different ways to answer that just because Connor Wegman yeah he's got some talent like he hasn't done anything close to what Jalen Milrow has done in his time in college like if, if this he list right 16 here,
2: to 2 TD to interception ratio man
1: over like he was a
2: balling
1: yeah over how many games I like mean
2: seven I mean it's not like we have a huge tracker for Milrow either like most of Milro's games season. were bad early
1: we have an entire season of this guy's starting quarterback but and- he's
2: bad for the majority of the year
1: it's hard to say he was bad. I mean, what are what was he like 20 touchdowns and like five picks or something on the season? I like mean, we he,
2: watched the games, man. Were you out here saying this is a Heisman candidate? No, I think he's overrated.
1: Like in terms of like, he could 65% pithers, percent of his
2: passes. Pithers, I mean, there's like a,
1: pithers, six in the Heisman, but this dude's a dynamic athlete. So his passing are sure. the only thing, but you look at Jackson Dart, like he's in a more quarterback friendly offense, probably. And I mean, he wasn't like just way better than Jalen Milrow by any means last year. Like, and Brady, like you think Brady Cooks better than Jalen? Yes, absolutely. Like, I don't, I don't know that at all. Like, if I'm predicting how they're going to be in 2024 with all that Alabama's lost, and you know, now having having to learn a new offense. Granted, it is like a more offensive minded head coach. You know, I, I, I can see why you would predict other guys him to not have the third best season next year. But right now, it's hard to rank more than like a couple guys ahead of him. I mean, I would put
2: Dart Garrett, ahead of him, Brady Cook ahead of him, Connor Wegman ahead of him, and then I think by the end of this year, say those again. I think Wegman, Cook, and Dart should all be ahead of him on this list. And then I go into next year. I think by the end of next year, Nico will obviously be ahead, and then Garrett Nesmyer I think will be ahead.
1: Obviously, Nico.
2: No, yeah, hundred percent. Like Nico's floor is just too high. Like I don't know where the ceiling is. Ultimately, the floor is too high. What you saw in the like, n- there's no one's dropping thirty-five on Iowa's defense and making it look that easy. Like, look, man, it's uh, it's going to be.
1: literally did that. They that's in, it. in an actual meaningful game. They, little they little did the exact same, and that was a terrible offense, though. So Iowa, let's let's not over. Let's not make too big a deal of the Iowa game. And I would also, yeah. Milrow went 23 touchdowns and six picks, completing 65, 66% of his passes. Like this guy also is, we know he's like one of the best athletes we've ever seen playing the quarterback position. Like this, this dude is still a really good player, even if he's just a little overrated, like, in, in Al- and he's disappointing from an Alabama perspective.
2: He's just what I'm saying is like he's just not the third best quarterback in the conference. Like going like I just don't think that's the case. Even like with, with the track record of what we've seen. Like Brady Cook had a better year than Jalen Milrow last year. Jackson Dart had a better year than Jalen Milrow.
1: I think both of those are debatable. And if Connor like, Wagon doesn't
2: get hurt, he's having a better year based on where he was through seven games.
1: Yeah. Jackson Dart, I mean, you could argue that. I feel like those are those are close, but I, I'm not taking Brady Cook over. Over Jalen Miller, and I like Brady Cook. Like I well, can the see the other question. Guys you didn't like answer my Wegman. first question, though. What's that? Kalen
2: Debose offered Nico for Jalen right now for one year. What does he do?
1: But that's what I'm saying. Like the rankings are a little different of like who you would trade for because there some like Nico is a guy. Yeah, he's a five star. Like he's got all this talent, but he's not. He hasn't done anything, and so any right. list. That would have Nico ahead of. But Jaylen even guys Milrow, who don't, let that argue way. With that list, right? Brady
2: Cook, would you trade for him? Who's safer this year? Brady Cook or Jalen Milrow?
1: I would not trade Jalen Milrow for Brady Cook. No.
2: Okay. Would you trade Jackson Dart for Jalen Milrow?
1: I don't think I would. No, I think uh, I huh. think you can. I think you can design a system around the things that Jalen Milrow can do. Connor Wegman. Um, see that one's tougher because I think Wegman is going to be the guy, but he hasn't done it yet. I might take Wegman over Milrow. Okay. But I'm not definitively though. Milro, dude, is a ridiculous athlete. Like it, it cannot be understated. Like he's like sure. he's gonna, he's like the fastest player on the entire team. Like, there's there's a way to 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 manage a quarterback that's just not a great, like uh, not a precision passer down the field.
2: Milrow is, he came on and deserves credit for getting better as the season went along. I'm just saying, is this list still happening if they lose to Auburn the way they did? Almost did. Like, are we doing this? If they miss the playoff, they lose to Auburn and none of it. Like, I just don't, I don't know. USF, or excuse me, not USF. The early part of the year happened. Like that still is on your resume. Like I've still seen some rough, quarterback play and some I don't know I just don't think it's all 100% that like Jalen Milroe is for sure a top three quarterback high early Heisman favorite why, I just don't get that you're
1: putting me, that's why you're putting me in a bad position here because we agree on Jalen Milrow but I don't agree to the extent that you're like that you're basic you're kind of throwing him out like throwing him out with the with the ba- with bathwater or whatever the expression.
2: No, no no I'm saying that the conference is actually sneaky loaded at the top At quarterback this year, kind of like the Pac 12. And I just don't think in this league, he's in the top half. I just don't. And I definitely don't think at the end of the year he will be.
1: That's right. At the end of the year, I think is a different conversation. Like having like predicting who the top 16 seasons these guys have, I don't think I'd put Jalen Millroe in the top three because I think he's probably gonna take a step back. But part of that's about what Alabama's losing and, and learning a new offense and everything, like I said. I think uh I think even though he I do not think he should be a top five Heisman guy preseason or anything like that but, but he I is think, like
2: the betting odds he's in the top five and I'm like what what am yeah, I missing so here? there's
1: there's aspects of that I disagree with but and but ultimately I feel like I'm more agreeing with you than not that I'm not like sold on Jalen Milro but I don't I don't think this crop of SEC quarterbacks is particularly like great like I don't think I think there's a lot of unproven guys here, like Connor Wegman. Yeah, like he could be a a superstar. Like he 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 has that potential. Brady Cook could take his game to the next level. Brady Cook could also take a step back when Missouri's schedule gets a little more difficult. Like that that could also happen. So like yeah, and Graham Mertz. Like if having Graham Mertz is like the ninth best quarterback in a conference, like that is pretty strong. Because I think Graham Mertz is a is a solid quarterback. But he, I mean, I don't think he.
0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
1: He has any potential to like become, become the best quarterback in the sec. I think he's just like fine. And, and I don't think Florida, he's going to elevate Florida's chances to, to win anything uh, by any means. But, but you look at at the end of the year and it's like, Oh yeah, he had some pretty good stats. Like uh, I, I still don't know how to evaluate Graham Mertz if it's just if it's hollow stats like it's just kind of hollow production or if he's just a, a good quarterback and in, in kind of a bad situation surrounding him
2: is Brock Vandergriff the best like buy medium stock of like former five-star kid it's it, we'll see if Liam Cohen makes it through this cycle and he's still at uh, Kentucky but he's sneaky like an interesting one to just circle of like hmm Kentucky's never had like Will Levis transfer was highly touted but not a not a five star kid like we have never seen this level of talent in at quarterback in the stoops era like i don't know like will it just go spencer rattler at south carolina where it like sure he has all the talent in the world but the pieces just aren't going to be there for him to really break through or is it something special i don't know brock Vandergrift's a huge wild card to me at kentucky that i can't wait to watch i'm glad he ended up there because i think it will be very interesting and a good test case for what Kentucky can ultimately be with a premier blue chip quarterback.
1: Yeah, that's a good call because I think you haven't really proven what Brock Vandegrift isn't to this point, you know, Mm. like sometimes like, I I don't know where he ranks in the, in terms of the portal rankings, but he's not one of the highest quarterbacks, but yeah, yeah, this guy was a top 10 recruit coming out of high school uh, and he's, and he's a dual threat. So you saw when he could come into Georgia games, like there'd usually be a design run within the first couple of plays of him coming in the game. So the fact that he is that, that has that athletic uh, element to his game. Like he's, he just sat behind Stetson Bennett and Carson Beck. So he's, he's been behind some good quarterbacks. Like we've seen a, a Joe Burrow type, not comparing him with Joe Burrow, but a guy that was just behind good players. And when he got his chance to shine somewhere else, he, he was a star. So, I don't know that Brock Vandegrift is going to be that guy, but he he's definitely an intriguing prospect. And and like you said, in Liam Cohen's offense, like that's Kentucky could be a sneaky team next year.
2: Absolutely. Um, Matt Green, final big thing here. Um, we are going to do our uh, 12-team CFP winners of the last 10 years. If they had made it in, if we had done a 12-team playoff, from the get go, and not started off with the fourteen before we ultimately went to the twelve team. Sir, what say you uh, on this? You did the research on who would be in, who would not. What did you find uh, when you did a deep dive into the twelve team
1: playoff? Yes, sir. I crunched the numbers here. Did uh, did some research for the fans uh, of the pod, and um, so I went back. I thought so. We we had a nice little clean fourteen playoff era, right? Nice little ten year uh, chunk of time there. And so I decided to go back and look in those 10 years and look in the final CFP rankings. And essentially like, that's not going to be the exact, uh, formula because there's going to be some automatic teams in there or whatever, but I don't got time for all that. All right. So I took the top 12 teams in the CFP and who knows, by the time the 12 team playoff is played, we might get rid of all these automatic qualifiers and just go with the top 12. But I took um, the top 12 teams from the past 10 years and hypothetically how many playoff appearances these teams would have. And the, there's only one team that would have made uh, the 12-team playoff every single year of, of the last 10 years, and that would be the Ohio State Buckeyes. In hmm. 2019, Alabama, after after Tua went down, lost their third game, in a, or was it their second game, third game? They were ranked 13th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they would have missed that one, but I was. St- it just got me thinking because there's going to be some big winners and losers uh, of this 12-team playoff. I mean, maybe there's not that many losers. I, I don't know. I guess. I guess if you want to say Georgia and like Ohio State are losers because they have to play more games uh, to get to the top four, I guess something like that. But you look at who the biggest winners are of this playoff era. Coming in at six potential appearances without making one four-team playoff, Penn State Nittany Lions. And I think they're the team that we talked about. We kind of speculated without knowing the data that they were going to be the biggest beneficiary of this four, uh, 12-team playoff because they just lose Ohio State and Michigan basically every year. And they're still one of the top 10 teams in the country. So it, the, the, the next one, the one that blew my mind that I don't think most people would get because – so I broke this down like by conference too. So in the in the 14 team play, or in the what would have been a 12 team playoff era, the mm-hmm. SEC would have gotten 31 teams in. And 10 different programs would have gotten a an appearance in the college football playoff in a 12 team playoff. Al, after Alabama and Georgia, do you know who had the third who had the third most top 12 finishes in the last 10 years? Um. No. Who would have been? It would. It's not even the team that has the other four team uh uh, appearance. Was LSU? Ole Miss has four top twelve finishes in the last ten years. Like that's potentially four playoff appearances, and who knows how that changes the perception of their program. So I thought those were the most interesting. Also, some teams that had three or more twelve would have had three or more twelve team appearances. Florida and Wisconsin would have both had would have had three and USC and Utah would have both had three top 12 finishes. So Texas, even though they've made a four team playoff, that's the only time in the last 10 years that they've finished top 12. So uh, it's a, uh, it's pretty interesting to see. Uh, I think the 12 team playoff, we've kind of speculated about this before, but I think the 12 team playoff will really show how much better of a conference the sec is than every other conference in college football. You look at in the twelve-team play in the fourteen playoff era, the SEC had twelve appearances essentially with three different teams. The Big Ten had nine appearances with three different teams. The Big Twelve had six appearances with three different teams. ACC had seven with two different teams. But when you go to that twelve level, the SEC would have thirty-one appearances with ten different teams. The Big Ten would have twenty-eight appearances with six different teams. ACC would have six different teams, 15 appearances. Big 12 would have 19 seven different teams. Like you just see the fact that there's Mississippi State, there's Tennessee, there's Auburn, like Texas A&M, just the 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 4th through like 10th programs in the SEC along with Penn State like we're talking about. I think they become the biggest winners of this expansion because there's years like a like a 2019 Uh, Florida who lost to undefeated LSU and they lost to a top five Georgia team. And those were their only losses the entire season. Who knows if that's a top six team in college football that year for all we know. And I think you're going to see the teams that are consistently the third, fourth and fifth best teams in the sec. Like they might could actually win something uh, when the season comes to an end.
2: Yeah. I, Old Miss is a big winner here I thought it was interesting who do you think would be looked at the, is it Old Miss or who would be looked at the most different of the last 10 years if we have a 12-team playoff who do you think would look the who would be the change who would be the biggest change and also which team that's had a bunch of success in the four-teamer would actually have been hurt by the 12 team over the last decade who would have been their prestige may have gone down a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. So I think the big winners, like obviously we said Penn State and Ole Miss that have never made the 14, but like Washington is a surprising one that would have had five top 12 finishes that that made two 14 playoffs. I think this would be very validating for Georgia fans who kind of always thought they were on like the Clemson and Ohio State and Oklahoma level before they were content before they were consistently making playoffs. And you see Clemson, Georgia, and Oklahoma would all have seven whereas Oklahoma and Clemson have a couple more four-team appearances than, than Georgia. So Georgia is that team over this period that was that second or third-best team in the SEC consistently. And, yeah, I mean, look at Florida State would have four. Notre Dame would have four. Um, and, yeah, just, just Wisconsin and Florida being able to play meaningful postseason games I think would just completely change the perception of kind of what those programs have been the last decade.
2: I think for me, who would be one of the biggest losers, and we would change how we look at them, LSU would too. LSU feels like they've been relevant and awesome for a long time, but you do a 12-team playoff where there's a lot of teams making it year over year, and LSU only makes it twice. Like, I get it, they won. But like it looks like a more of a program in disarray where it's like, what's up with LSU? They just can't get a how are you missing the yeah. 12-team playoff this many times when you have the advantages that you do in Louisiana? Like I feel like LSU would be a big loser um, of a 12-team playoff over the last
1: decade. That's a good call. And for the people not looking at this current list, that like that puts LSU with two 12 team playoff appearances that puts them on the same level as auburn kansas state oklahoma state cincinnati and ucf like i don't put lsu anywhere close to those other programs uh, mainly because auburn's been so so up and down this past decade but but yeah those other programs have no business with the same number of top 12 finishes as as lsu and then i think if you
2: anyone who feels the best of that group i think oklahoma fans We're like, yeah, we haven't won, but like, dude, we've been seven times like that's pretty awesome, like seven times with Texas and everything else you had to deal with. And look, we haven't won the big one, but being in the big dance seven times over a decade, that's pretty awesome. Like, I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, you feel pretty good. I think they're the blue blood winner there.
1: No, that's probably true because Ohio State fans probably see this and they're like, we could have so many more (laughs) national championships than we do. Mm -hmm. Look at the the. Peach Bowl versus, versus Georgia. Look at the was it the Fiesta Bowl versus Clemson where that mm. uh with that fumble uh that wasn't called or wait, what was it? That was Sugar. It was called an incomplete pass, but it should have been a scoop and score yeah. for Ohio State. That uh Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields game that was Sugar Bowl, right? No, I'm thinking that was the Fiesta. That wasn't Bowl. a dumb. Uh, I'm I think you're wrong about this. I Sugar Bowl, no, they played multiple times. You're thinking of the second time they played. Okay, maybe
2: I am thinking First about the second time, yeah. T-
1: 2019 is the one I'm thinking of. 2020 okay. semifinal was also Clemson-Ohio State. And that was Sugar Bowl. That was the Sugar Bowl, yeah. Okay. You're right about that. But yeah, so I think that will, um, Ohio State fans will probably look at this and just be all that more frustrated that they're they have been basically the most consistent program in college football over the last decade
2: absolutely and here's the fun part too if you look at it we would get some fun first-timers who would get tech in here we would get iowa state we get colorado i was Coastal shocked about georgia
1: tech i'm not sure i guess was that 2014 probably uh they snuck yeah. in the very first one hey that's well, actually fun. i got the stats right in front of me i don't know why i'm asking yeah they finished 12th in uh in 2014 there you go Tennessee would have gotten in uh in 2022. They were number 6 in that final college football playoff ranking. Uh yeah, there, there's some It would have been uh, tough though. No <laughs> Hindenhooker Hooker in that one. No, that's definitely true. And and how does that affect the seeding? I don't, I don't know. We we got to dig in further with that. But but yeah, there's a thought this I had to do some research because I've wondered this myself and and this kind of I think this kind of shows you the teams of like who should have like legitimate national title expectations or at least like playoff expectations. When you're, when you're making like the, the, the 12th, you're finishing top 12, four times in a, in a 10 year period, like you're the kind of program that that's going to be the new, the new benchmark of if you're getting to play Like, and I think that's what like we've kind of talked about uh, before. I think that's going to be the biggest uh, positive that comes out of the 12 team playoff era is tangible accomplishments for head coaches that, okay, Florida hasn't won an SEC title in in 12 years or something. but we have made four playoff appearances. we, we had a couple first round wins, you know, maybe you made a final four in there or something and you just have some tangible accomplishments uh, for a coach to hang his hat on and not, yeah, you've been here for a while. you haven't won a national championship. See ya, we need to find someone who can.
2: Absolutely. All right, sir. Well, congrats on uh putting that together. That was good. I uh I'm glad uh you're able to do that. That's that's illuminating. And I I think uh the listeners will have enjoyed that, sir, because that uh that's pretty interesting. I did not think it would end up uh coming out that way, but um, maybe I'll Yeah, maybe, maybe we can uh, something maybe for social. I
1: can, Yeah, maybe I can uh make this a neat little graphic to put it up somewhere.
2: All right. Sounds like a plan, sir. Um, well, that's all I've got. Uh, the next episode we'll do uh, maybe the top 10 programs in college football. We'll do that in the midweek show uh, with Alabama's changing of the guard with the boar and where they currently sit in the college football hierarchy. We can hit that in our midweek show. But uh, as we talked about different themes each episode here, um, in this off season, but we have all kinds of great college football content that uh, will not stop. And we'll see obviously what happens with Harbaugh at Michigan and how Alabama fills up the portal of this and the other spring battles. The news never stops in college football. Uh, also, even in the off season.
1: One last NFL note. Mm. Is it not just bring like joy to your soul to see a Detroit lions logo and showing the conference championship preview, like for next weekend, like, it's just incredible. You gotta love. You gotta love the Lions getting to the NFC Championship.
2: I, I'm not gonna lie. I was rooting for Baker. Baker was dealing late. Were was you underdog? Yeah, I was, I was going for Baker. Oh
1: man, you can't. I feel like Detroit is the best story of the of the postseason. Other than the whole like NFL being scripted and these uh people showing their DVRs weeks out that it says Ravens 49 ers Super Bowl and the and the whole conspiracy with the color of the Super Bowl logo I like the style. color logo that that cracks me up. The, that would be wild
2: if that ends up happening again this year.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where to go with that, but it's it's hard to argue with the script. It is hard to argue with the script. But yeah, got Lions with these four teams left, man. Go Detroit. I, I hate for anyone else to be able to match the success that we had in in the Peach State with the Braves and Georgia winning the same year, but You know, I don't want to just be a hater. So if if the people in Michigan can get Wolverines, Lions, same year, it was an incredible feeling. Highly recommend it.
2: There you go. Matt Green, always a pleasure, my friend, and I will talk to you very soon. Yes, sir. All right, hello. Welcome back to Chase House Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase. I'm just coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ up there in some part of Wisconsin, where the weather matches the current weather in Knoxville, Tennessee right now. What I assume is all the time. Uh, it's Mr. Ty Windish of the uh, Eurostep Podcast. Ty, how are you doing, sir?
0: I'm good. You're correct. It is kind of always cold and snowing mm-hmm. and everything. We just, you know, we know how to manage it, right? So it's... yeah you know the conditions are maybe worse here than other places but we always feel for folks in the states that don't get as much snow and ice and cold weather because you know if you don't have a fleet of plows and all the necessary equipment at everyone's house it's a lot more difficult but excited to hopefully take your mind off that and talk about some uh, bucks basketball here
2: yeah i mean we we're here for some bucks basketball in this very edition of the program i'm ready what when are we getting the the bucks layout behind you ty when are we expanding for the video show when are we getting the the michael red jersey behind you when are we getting the um let's see who who are some like let's member some bucks here i mean i'm trying to think who would be like a really niche bucks podcaster Background jersey, who's like the most niche that you could do? That you're like, well, okay, I mean, we this... got
0: the, the, the two four here is an allusion to Pat Connaughton so I feel like that's pretty close to the most niche possible. To but that's honest.
2: current, we got to go back, we got to go purple we jerseys, gotta go we got to go like the Brandon Jennings area. Um, Ilyasovich,
0: Ooh, Ursan's pretty good, Ersan's I like good, yeah, Ursan's a good one. Um, Joe Prisbilla, I got uh, I was always a fan of Kendall Marshall,
2: Kendall Marshall he i thought he would stick around more i i was definitely a Kendall marshall guy when he was coming out uh, i think
0: injuries are the reason yeah he, i think he would have too uh john henson who does great work john henson nba and college ball now that would be another good one
2: there you go okay we get, we get, let's do i mean i'm excited like when we move and uh all that like i have some a lot of stuff behind like over here uh that is perfect for video pods and all kinds of video content but i built this on this side before we pivoted to video on oh, yeah. every, when we realized that everybody wanted to watch videos and podcasts because that's not yeah. how it was done for like eight years and then it was yep. uh hey people like watching other people talk about stuff um and i was like i'm not moving all of this so i'm just saving it until I, I move so for right now we just got doc peyton Matt Locke, and uh the minima Mayberry. but um, you can't you know, beat that group. No. No, no, you cannot. Um, Milwaukee Bucks, though, Ty, I have some questions for you. First up, when you just the basic question that I, as someone who doesn't watch every Bucks game, are they elite? So for someone who sees the standing, sees where they are in the East, um, got through some early, uh, early troubles, uh, I think just the adjustment from Boonehlser to Adrian Griffin. But as it stands right now, are they elite in your mind?
0: Their offenses, uh, their okay. defense has been the has been the issue. I think their offense has probably underperformed a little bit relative to expectations, but still up there among the league's best. Uh, I think Dame is kind of due to round into form here. And we've seen that in some recent games. He had his first, you know, um certified by him damn time moment where he that was know, tapped tapped the wrist against Sacramento after walking off an OT, which I mean, every Bucks fan like literally yelled. I I've talked to some like, yeah, I yelled too when I saw it. Like he, the, seeing that shot happen for your team, that guy is, is so cool. But uh, their offense is really coming along. Their defense is the problem area. I think, you know, they've had to, Adrian Griffin has had to adjust his scheme a few times already and just dial back some of the aggression that he tried to bring because, you know, the Bucs roster just isn't fit for it. You know, Brooke Lopez needs to be around the rim and the Bucks perimeter defenders really can't pick up that far from the rim because they're, Perimeter defenders are Dame Lillard and Malik Beasley, and then Chris Middleton, which is just not an elite group or even a good group of guys to defend the perimeter. So I think think they are close to elite now, and I think they will be elite once their roster is ready for the playoffs post-deadline. I really anticipate seeing some perimeter defensive juice added one way or another, seeing guys like Jay Crowder have a bigger role now that he's back healthy, and probably at least, I think, one of the young players between – Andre Jackson Jr., Marjan Beauchamp, you got A.J. Green and Chris Livingston too. I think those guys trailed the first two by a little bit. But I think there just needs to be more defense in the rotation, and I think that that will happen. And then that – I think even just adding one more real solid plus defender who can guard guards will make a huge difference for the Bucs and make everything so much easier for everyone else.
2: What do you think is the scheme that Adrian Griffin is most comfortable running defensively? What do you think in a perfect world with the roster that he wants in Milwaukee? What do you think it actually is?
0: I, I think they're aggressively trapping and, and switching, mm-hmm. you know, trapping and then kind of rotating on the back end. That's that's what he would like to force turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we saw in the first four games of the year. You know, they had Brook Lopez doing that. He's moving around, trapping ball handlers. And, you know, I think I, everyone talks about they had to switch back because of Brook, which to an extent, I think is true. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think probably as big of an issue is you know, outside of Giannis, the help defenders, like if they had to go rotate to the rim, they just couldn't do it. Like they're, they're small, they're slow, they're not just, I mean, Chris Middleton was a great defender. He's not really anymore. Their personnel is just not geared toward, you know, asking that much of guys. So I think that in a perfect world is, is what the Bucs run. I don't know if we'll ever see it as, as long as Adrian Griffin coaches the Bucks, just because, you know, Lopez just got the new contract. Middleton just got the new contract. Obviously, you're locked in with Dame. I mean, I would be surprised if we see that much of a roster change. I think now it's kind of okay, we'll start and drop, accommodate Brook Lopez, and you know, try and just force like contested mid-rangers if the guards can navigate screens. And then, you know, we'll do zone, we'll do trapping when Bobby Portis comes off the bench. We can do more of our trapping. We can play more zone. We can play some zone with Brooke Lopez. I mean, it's really been an adaptive defense, but uh, I don't know if we'll ever see the full aggressive vision like the Raptors run, just personnel wise.
2: Do you think that will ultimately be what seals the Bucks fate come playoff time is just not having that I, just strong identity where the last couple of years, I mean, Budenholzer had his issues, but you knew exactly like the drop stuff was that was just part of it. Like Boonholzer was not he was just he was very, very loyal um, to oh, his yeah. scheme and everything else. And it, I mean, ultimately cost him in the first round upset and stuff like that. But like, hey, they had an identity and there is something to be said of like, hey, I'm going down with the ship of my identity. And it is kind of like you wonder if Adrian Griffin can't do what he wants to do um, and he's kind of doing what Budenholzer was having to do with this roster the last couple of years defensively. You're like, okay, what was the point of the change if you're bringing in a coach who wants to shake things up a little bit defensively, but the personnel doesn't match up to what he actually wants to do? I mean, does it it ultimately matter or do you think um, it's still a TBD at this point?
0: I mean, I don't think it'll sink them that he can't run what he wanted to run defensively, to be honest. Mm. And I think I think there could still be a net game on that end. I don't think there'll be a better defense. But I think in terms of playoffs, you know, being able – the team being able to play, like, let's say four different coverages, four different mm. broad kinds of coverages. And it, I, mean, I didn't mention switching. They switch sometimes too. So, you know, you can drop, you can switch everything, you can trap some with not-brook lineups, and you can play – they play a lot of zone, way more than they ever did under Bud. I think if they can just refine those areas more in their execution and in what the scheme is, that it could be a net gain. Because I think the Bucks' biggest issue in the playoffs, on the defensive side of the ball, was that lack of flexibility. Teams would mm. teams figure out everything. That's I mean, great offenses—they figure out whatever you're going to do. I mean, you can have the perfect scheme; they will, unless they have a really bad personnel disadvantage, which usually by later playoff rounds, teams don't have those. Right? They, they wouldn't mm. have made it. And the Bucs didn't adjust fast enough. I mean, it really took two full playoff runs into that third one, the championship year, for the Bucs to drop. They just, Mm. or to not drop, excuse me, to switch. I mean, they didn't really switch almost ever, at least not early enough in series until 21. And PJ Tucker came in and, you know, he was part of a vocal, I guess, group of players who were saying, we need to switch. Like, we need to not help. We need to not send help. We need to let me defend KD. He'll beat me, but we can't give up these open shots, which if you watch, like, their Raptors series people remember it as Kawhi killed them Kawhi Guardianis, and that did it. And you know, the wall and everything. And that stuff is fair. I rewatched that whole series during uh, the lockdown and Mm -hmm. it's like Kawhi killed them. He's shooting 48% from the field, like scoring a lot. Like you can live with that then. Oh, Fred Van Vliet's open one pass away. Norm Mm -hmm. Hall one pass away. Siakam and that those open shots is really what did them in, I think on that end. So, I think it could work out. It's just it's a it's a more precarious spot because it could not work out. They could not master any of them or get close to mastery on any of them. And then you're left without that base. But, you know, I, I think it can still go either way. I'm optimistic if they can just upgrade the defensive personnel a little bit that they'll be able to get good enough at enough different coverages that they can do that. And, you know, it's just a different ask than it was in the last five years to coach the Bucks based on the point guard shift. And I think part of the reason that the defense has been so bad is they built a roster of offensive players to complement Drew Holiday and then the opportunity to acquire Damian Lillard came about, you don't turn mm. that down, but you built a roster for the exact opposite point guard. Like <laughs> literally, I mean, in terms of, not in terms of like bad to good, but skill set wise, the exact yeah. opposite point guard. So uh, it's been an interesting year in that sense. I think Griffin has taken a lot of flack from Bucks fans and outside national media. I think some of it is quite deserved. I think he's got to be better, but I think we've also seen things change, things improve, and I've seen enough to kind of trust that they'll be good enough. They'll be solid enough on that end and the offense should be pretty unguardable.
2: I like it. Um, in terms of Giannis, there are like people like, hey, they've talked like Bucks basketball for like 10 minutes. We really <laughs> haven't talked to Giannis Antetokounmpo at this point, but look, this uh, we'll get to Giannis. And the point here that I'm curious about, because you've watched so much Giannis over the years now, Ty, when you look at this year specifically, what has he added to his game? What is different about Giannis that people who are not tuning in night in, night out for Bucks basketball? What what is different about Giannis this year?
0: Um it's it's hard. There aren't the the major You know, I wouldn't say there's one major new thing that he never did before. I think it's Mm. been a a season of refinement for Giannis. I think, you know, recently he's had some more success on the free throws. He's still not going to be Steph Curry, but I think the last month or two, those have come up and we'll see. It could just be a blip. Mm. Uh, I think he's had some nice post moves. I know he worked with, for the first time, I believe, Hakeem Olajuwon in the off season, and he has had some nice, like, jump hooks and that it, for a long time bucks fans have really wanted to see that because with his athleticism and frame and wingspan you know there's a lot of players who just can't do anything about that shot right like mm. there's just there's no real contesting it so that's been one thing i think his level of control on drives continues to go up year over year i mean 20 like 18 19ish honest around that area i mean he picked up offensive fouls all the time and it's not like mm. he never gets them now but he's so good about Okay, you're set there to draw the charge. I'll just go around and, and finesse hmm. and, and his angles off the backboard get better every year. Defensively, he's more involved this year. I don't know if that's his improvement or just again, the scheme is different. It's required more. He can't just be a help side rover all the time. He's he's on ball more, and I think he's had a lot of success, you know, disrupting drives, poking the ball away just for a second so the defense can reform. That's been something I've noticed. But I, I wouldn't say there's one thing that jumps in. I'm like, oh, that's what Giannis did this year. It just feels to me he's just become more solid, more impossible to guard. Um, and really I, I think his decision making on offense has has stepped forward again as well.
2: Are you desensitized to the pull up three? Because yeah, he'll do oh, it okay. sometimes. I'm watching a Bucks game and I'm like, oh, here it comes. It's all the first quarter and it, he'll just do it. And you're like, I, I love Giannis for it. Sometimes he'll be an air ball. Sometimes he'll hit him. And yeah. it's always great too, because the broadcast is always surprised. The, broadca- oh, yeah. the broadcast is always like, whoa, <laughs> Giannis, this is a great start for Giannis. And then, you know, Giannis sees it, goes to the hoop, and he's like, all right, maybe this is a night that I can get four or five off and be all right. And it's yeah. like, no, no, it's no. not not Giannis.
0: I, I don't even mind it. I mean, you look at mm-hmm. the rate. and I mean, I, I had people after a game where I think he took like two threes, and then mm-hmm. a lot of Bucks fans. He's got to cut this out. He's taking them <laughs> with, with 18 seconds on the shot clock all the time. And mm-hmm. I, went to, I was like, right, we can look. I went to the NBA stats and pulled up. How many times has Giannis shot a three? off the dribble with more than 16 seconds it'd be like one all year and i was like who, it's and it just one, feels it's like more shot. to fans yeah, yeah it feels like more to fans but it's the same like chris middleton turnovers i mean they're ugly and oftentimes they start transition but you look mm-hmm. in you'll, you'll remember all two of his turnovers you think <laughs> oh yeah, five six and no he had said two but they were horrible mm-hmm. um, that's the thing with the honest so I, I think sometimes he's left so wide open and i will say You'll see him get defenders with the pump fake more, and that's always mm. funny. That's always hilarious when he's at three, and you know, especially if he has made one that night. You'll see the guy mm-hmm. lunge out, and you can look for the other coach, and usually, you always he's like, his mind. No, 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 mm-hmm. don't do it. Um, but I don't mind. I do feel like when he makes them, it's kind of backbreaking for the other team. So that that part I think is actually worth it. Plus, like I'm not, I've I've said this for a long time. All the stuff Giannis has overcome, all the people that Giannis has proved wrong. I'm not going to be the guy who sits here and says, never do this. If he wants to do it mm. twice in January, by all means, when the games are very serious, he doesn't shoot those all the time, unless he's really in a rhythm and really feeling it. Mm. But it's not like you don't see him have like a playoff game where he's 0 for seven from three and it kills the Bucks. So I, I can't bring myself to really, you know, get fired up about it and criticize Giannis for that when he does so much for the bucks all the time. Like have your dalliances with the reason have fun
2: absolutely um where does Milwaukee miss Mike Budenholzer the most this year in your estimation
0: um probably I think just the the rugged um like some of the things that Bud would just never have given up I, I think honestly it's hmm. mostly transition I, I think okay. they were they were a very good transition defense I think that's still where they miss him the most I mean they're as folks who will say just like the whole scheme and you know bud would have another top five top 10 defense i honestly don't think so i i, hmm. I think they've toned down the aggression on the drop i don't think the the bad defenders pick up as far away from the three-point line anymore they still get beat and when the thing about the bucks this year is when their offense goes into a lull their defense hmm. just can't withstand it like semi-transition or full transition i mean this is a defense that when it's set it can be good enough it can get some stops but the offense has to feed it to an extent. The worst games this year, the offense goes cold for five minutes. They just they can't get those stops. They can't get stops if they're never fully set and they're not operating in the half court. So I think probably the biggest is you know they would always get back under bud. They've, they barely ever went for offensive rebounds. And I think they've probably tamped down how much they go for offensive rebounds still since the beginning of the year. Again, that's been a little bit of an adjustment because their transition defense has been so bad. But as with the, the half-court defense, some of it is just the roster. I mean, they—I'll outside of Giannis, they're pretty old, they're pretty slow, they're pretty unathletic. Outside of Giannis, and like the young guys, basically. So I, I think he would help there a bit. Again, I don't think they're a top-five transition defense, though, with Mike Budenholzer either. I think just like the structure would have made it probably easier to add new players, but I don't think it totally transforms how they look.
2: Okay, I like it. Um, the most important Milwaukee role player has been who this year?
0: Oh, um, probably Malik Beasley. Hmm. Um, just has been an absolute flamethrower. I mean, should be in the three point contest. He's campaigning for it. I mean, I think you look at every time you see one of these, like, you know, shots created off catch and shoot shots created from three corner shooters. It's like, he's at the top of all the lists. Like he has been just an absolute knockdown shooter all year. He has fit really well offensively with Dame and Giannis. We talked about, you know, the defensive end not so great, but mm. offensively he has been crucial. And he has started to attack the basket a little bit more in recent games as well, which I think is important, especially when he's out there without Dame and Giannis, for him to do a little more ball handling and take some of that off the other other players on the roster's plate. So I'd say he first, and then. Maybe Crowder after that, even though he's been out so long. He just was so good to start the year. His shots were really falling too. And he's just – they can trust him so much defensively. He calls out so much. He's a big additive presence for the Bucs. So I'd say those two guys so far, it would probably be Crowder first if he had you know not missed eight, nine weeks of action. But he's still got a case for it, I would say.
2: I – it's just so funny because there was just so many jokes about Malik Beasley and that and just what he was going to be on this Bucks team and what kind of role and now I mean what about the defense aspect do you think he is someone that they can rely on um in crunch time against the Celtics against the Sixers in a Eastern Conference final situation do you think he'll be one of the five for sure at this point
0: I don't think that no Mm. Um, I think Crowder probably has a better shot just because of that defense I, I think you know, there's been a a push among some Bucks folks to to drop him from the starting five.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: think that probably would have happened. The issue is there's no one who's been available who's played well enough on both ends. I mean, they mm-hmm. they typically start Andre Jackson Jr., the rookie from UConn when someone's out. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work all that well. And I think although his percentage from three is nice, he is a ball stopper offensively, not because he's selfish, but like he'll have the record scratch. Oh, you need to take that open three or you Mm. need to drive to the rim with that space and he just passes it back out and the advantage is lost. And I think Beasley, you know, for the warts on defense, the bucks, the bucks can't afford someone to come up their offense. Like they need the offense to be humming Beasley. Certainly adds to that, cause if he's open, he fires away, he'll get to the rim too, but he is such a threat and he is really converting on so many of his threes and takes so many as well that it helps that. So I think, um i think he's less likely to close than he is to start and again i wouldn't be surprised if crowder or someone who's brought in eventually ends up starting just to ease the burden on dame and chris a little bit but um i do think beasley has shown hey there's still a role on this team for him even if he's not starting like he's been so good in that offensive spark plug role that even if you're bringing him off the bench i mean he still can be a very important piece just probably not one you want out if you need a stop i think that's when you look at you know, Marjan Beauchamp, Jay Crowder, whoever else on the team to try and give you more boost on that. It's just his screen navigation. I think one on one, honestly, he holds up okay on drives, mm. but when he tries to navigate, he just can't get through the screens. And then Brooke is kind of stuck in no man's land. Or, you know, if they're five out, then you're just letting someone get to the rim, which the Bucks have done far too often.
2: Final one here for you um, the best five man lineup the Bucks Or the one, not even maybe the best, but what is the one that fascinates you the most that Adrian Griffin has employed this year?
0: Um, That's a good question. I think, I mean, it's always tough because like, Brooke Lopez is their fourth best player, but mm-hmm. just can struggle against certain teams. But I think their best lineup I don't know what the numbers are, but I mean, their starters have been really good for a lot of the season. They struggled a little bit this month. But I mean, I think Dame, Crowder, Chris, Giannis, Brooke is up there. Mm. And then certainly, uh, again, like they're just missing that one. Like insert a small defender, Dame, defender. It, let's We can say Marjan, we can say Andre Jackson Jr. One of those guys for now. Crowder, Middleton, Giannis. For that five out, you're big enough. I mean, Middleton and, and Crowder are pretty big, can rebound a bit. And you can switch everything. You have a couple guys who will kind of – they can be defensive game game changers, not just guys who hold up. Um, so those groups are always going to be really fun. Giannis at the five, they need to be ready to play that for the playoffs. I mean, there's going to be teams that, you know, Brooke Lopez just isn't comfortable against. I don't think it's Bobby Portis. He's just had too many highs and lows this year. I think they need to find the perfect fifth player with Crowder and obviously the big three for when the bucks go small and they just have that totally killer, like, you know, we get a good look, every possession, and we're, we're able to hold up switching everything on defense.
2: I like it. Ty, what can the good folks check out from you all across the internet this week?
0: Yeah, new interviews up with uh, Marjan Beauchamp. We talked about a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris Livingston and and AJ Green on the podcast feed and YouTube. You can check out that, my social links, everything we do at gspn.info. So greatly appreciate anyone who does. And Chase, greatly appreciate you having me on the pod as always, my good friend.
2: I love seeing uh, the show grow, and now you got all the different the Packers coverage, the Bucks coverage, yeah. the Brewers coverage. It's it's good. I I love seeing uh, the network and getting more content and getting to uh, listen to folks who know significantly more about uh, these sort of things and getting to pick your brain and uh, hopefully uh, make a, a lot of other folks a
0: little bit smarter about the yeah. Milwaukee Bucks Re- going into Real next. Real quick, mm. do, do the Packers have a shot this weekend? Yeah, I think they have a shot. I think they, I, I think, and that's all. That's all I think. Yeah. They, that's all you can ask for. They have a shot.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jordan Love when he's playing like he is, I mean, it's just you have a shot um, yeah. now. Am I predicting them to win the game? Moment? No, yeah, I wouldn't no.
0: wouldn't expect that. I mean, I mean I, their defense is just poised to get so gouged by the Niners yeah. that I think that might be a too big of an issue. But, if they could but have that's also an all time run. You win in
2: Dallas who hasn't lost a home game in forever. And then you win in San Francisco. I mean, that's that's asking a lot. That's some legendary stuff there
0: for Wisconsin sports. They're poised to then lose to like the Buccaneers. I mean, never forget the Wisconsin NCAA run where they beat the God-mode Kentucky team and everyone's like, oh, they, they're going to do it. They're going to win. And then they just mm. get backed by Duke in the chair. It's just like, oh, man, that's, yeah, it's just such a bummer. But yeah,
2: yeah. but you also could see, I mean, the ultimate, if you're a Packers fan, what you would want, right, is you want the Lions to win this weekend, oh, the yeah. Packers to win, and then you beat the Lions in the NFC title game. Oh. And just to ensure the Lions, this was a one-year rental and the the <laughs> nfc north is ours again for the next 15 oh, wow. years that could be the that, that could that be the script meanest script thing writers.
0: send that into the nfl script writers we need that to happen
2: oh my i mean just the all the happiness from detroit of this kind of season then <laughs> green bay just comes in and wins in the nfc title game
0: i need it wired it into my veins man
2: oh I'm my man, Here for that uh i love it ty thank you as always for the time i greatly appreciate it and we'll have to check back in again soon
0: looking forward to it chase thanks again Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.
2: Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.